Welcome to Lillipod episode 74, I See You with Julie Lee. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Hi, LilyPod listeners and LilyTube viewers. Uh, we are here for a re- really exciting episode uh, today. We've got a special guest. Uh, Julie Lee is not your typical keynote speaker. I, she does a lot of speaking, but her personal experiences with human connection changed the trajectory of her life, uh, ignited the passion behind her I See You mission and made her into a powerful advocate of connected leadership. Through research and stories uh, that are both vulnerable and inspiring, Julie delivers the wholehearted message that connection has the ability to up-level, even transform work culture, a relevant message that is right on time. Julie is the author of I See You, How Compassion and Connection Save Lives, and the children's book, Broccoli Punzel, a girl with extraordinary hair. And uh, I'm going to ask you about that during the interview. With over 100 episodes on her podcast, I See You, she empowers thousands of listeners to succeed in relationships by embracing human connection. Julie lives in Utah with her husband, Rob, and two children, Samuel and Lydia. All right. Welcome, Julie Lee. Let me try that again now that my now that my, I'm not muted. Thank you guys so much. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited to be on your channel. Yeah, thank you, Julie. It's uh, it's an honor to have you with us. And I, I want to begin this interview by saying or by asking you uh, to tell me about your bathroom floor moment. Ooh, my bathroom floor moment. I forget. Have you read the book? Uh huh. Okay, well, let's just get into it. Most of our listeners probably haven't, so. Yeah, let's just get into it because that's the first scene of the first chapter, yeah. Right. So um, I was struggling with pretty debilitating anxiety and depression in my 20s, and my bathroom floor moment happened when I, so I have two children, Sam and Lydia, like you read from my bio, and I used to have this ritual when it was so debilitating, this PTSD-like symptoms, flashbacks, panic attacks that I would get my kids set up in the living room. I'd have my little girl and stuffed in her bumbo. She was about six months old and my son was two. And he'd shake little toys in front of her face and they loved each other. And I would leave them for a few minutes to go to my room. And there was just a little small master bath off of it. And I would go into the bathroom and I would shut the door and lock it. And I would turn on the fan so that my kids wouldn't hear me sobbing. And I would just 
uh, I remember so many times just laying my face on the dirty, nasty, cold tile, because, you know, like when you're that depressed and you're in that state, uh, which I'm sure some of your listeners can relate to, you know, this is something that impacts all of us, whether it's someone within our family or close friend, but the, the bathroom wasn't clean for sure. Right. I wasn't getting to cleaning the house. That was, I was just surviving in this mode and I would just lay my face on this gross, dirty tile and, and stretch my arms out and just pray to uh, my higher power, my God for healing that he would, he would come and heal me. And in fact, I remember praying specifically saying, you know, there's this story in the Bible um, about this woman who had an issue for of blood, they talk about and how all she had to do to be healed after 12 years was to reach out her hand as, as Jesus Christ was walking in the streets to reach out her hand and touch his robe and she was healed. And I begged, um, I begged for him to come so that I could touch his robe and I would stretch my arms out across, across the tile and I would wait and I would put all my energy and faith into that. And he didn't come. And that was, that was really hard. It was really painful. I felt, um, very forsaken. I felt very, um, I, I thought that I was worth healing in that way. And that's what, that's what I felt like love would look like was for him to come and appear before me and do that for me. And while my faith, uh, was very small, I do feel like I was giving it everything I had. Um, and, and that wasn't, that wasn't what happened. And that was hard. Um, I don't know how much of the story you want me to tell you, but that's the significance of my gross bathroom floor. (laughs) I, I actually don't see your faith as small, but I can see how you felt small in that experience with depression. And I know I've had uh, some debilitating depression, anxiety in my own and um, also digestive disorders that, you know, and there's this gut brain connection. And when your brain's not working, your gut's not working, when you're depressed, you're anxious. um, I mean, when you're full of toxins, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's really hard to feel the spirit, maybe impossible even. And I've come to a couple of conclusions from that. And I don't know, you know, what you, how you've seen it, but um, one of them is the reason Christ healed people physically before he ministered to them is so they could be in a position to feel the spirit. And second, the reason he experienced not being able to have God in him and with him and not be able to feel the spirit on the cross because he knew we would experience that sometimes. Even if we're doing, like you said, all we can to be close to him. I want to observe something too about the the story you were relating from the Bible about uh, the woman touching Jesus' robe. Because I think we don't always appreciate the magnitude of, of of that event. Uh, first of all, if she had a blood issue 12 years, my, you know, my best guess is she was probably about 24, 25 years old. Um, and if she had had that all that time, she would have been considered by, the Jew, by Jewish law at that time perpetually unclean uh, and untouchable, basically. So she wouldn't have been able to marry. She wouldn't have had any man interested in her. Uh, Obviously, she couldn't have had children in that situation. And 
so and it said she'd spent everything she had on doctors trying to to figure out uh what was wrong and the response that jesus gave after she was healed I think there's two really interesting things about it. First of all, he basically said, Who's who touched me? Who touched my robe? Well, I want to say in the, on the theme of your book, he saw her. He, he knew that someone had touched his robe, and, and he said that, that power had gone out of him, that, that uh, he had felt that. So he was highly attuned, even though he didn't see who it was at first. And then secondly, he, he gave her credit after she was healed. He didn't put the glory on himself. He said, thy faith hath made thee whole. Interestingly, his first word directly to her was daughter. So he was taking this untouchable, unclean woman and treating her as family even though he wasn't that much older than her and he was, she wasn't really his daughter, but he was welcoming her into to his family. And, and I've always felt that that was really a moving part of that story. And I think maybe even though he didn't come in the way that you expected, maybe he did come ultimately. What, what is, what is your experience with that? Well, it's interesting you'd ask that. So, we talk a lot, and this is, um, we talk a lot about in, in religious and spiritual contexts about, you know, the, the miraculous moments that you can't, that you can't blame on something else or call a coincidence or things like that. And I think for me, most of the time, feeling close to God or to Christ or deity in general is in smaller moments that aren't that are really personal to me that aren't fireworks and that aren't as obvious if I'm not being aware. However, I I did have a pretty miraculous moment. Um, it was probably a couple weeks later, and I feel very fortunate to have had this happen. But um, like I said, I had a son at the time that was two, and he was walking, uh, just toddling around. And you know, two-year-olds like they know what they're saying, but no one else does. And they're just like, blah, 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 and they're just jabbering. And there's, you know, there's not a lot of like coherent um, things to understand. And I was in my, I was in my kitchen and I was actually journaling because I was doing all the things I could to get better. And I know journaling is a really powerful thing. So I was journaling and I was crying, but I had my hand over my face like this and just trying. So he couldn't see me crying, but that I could do my work. And because another side of my story, and, and we don't need to get to it or we can if we want, but is that I grew up with a parent that had a really severe mental illness and um, was really impacted by that. And so I, I, this was all of this, me struggling with this was just not in, not what I expected for my life. And I had a lot of resistance to it, but because of that, I was especially careful with my own children, with how much they saw. So I'm writing in my journal and my two-year-old, he just toddles in and, and he's trying to talk to me. He's like, mom, mom, you know, one of the few words he knows how to say, mom, mom. And I, I wipe my face and, and I look at him and I say, Sam, you know what? Sorry, buddy. What was it? And he just looks at me and he just says, mom, Jesus loves you. Wow. And then he just toddled away jabbering again. And um, 
I tell you what, I just looked up at the ceiling and I said, thank you, because out of the mouths of babes, he never, you know, he didn't never said anything like that before. And I, it's interesting that I used to hold him up and I have a picture of Jesus in my home and I would hold him up and I'd show and I'd say, Sam, Jesus loves you, you know? And so certainly I could find ways to make that a coincidence. Um, but I just, I just know you know, and I just knew in that moment and I didn't, I didn't even have this big, warm spiritual feeling that sometimes we hear stories about. It was, it was just a very quiet piece. Um, just for me that shifted. Yes. He did not show up in the way that I asked and begged for. Um, but it didn't mean he didn't see me and he wasn't 100% aware of my life and with me. And I think, you know, sometimes when I speak to I, I do a lot of speaking with schools and corporate audiences. When I speak to a religious audience, I like to ask the question because it's, it's something I've thought a lot about, you know, on the bathroom floor, I don't know that what I wanted was a God. I think I wanted a magician and talking about asking that question to ourselves of, do I want a God right now? Or am I looking for a magician? And what is the difference between those two? And so I try to do, I try to, I pray a little differently than I once did. And I, and I still, oh my goodness, I have all the respect in the world for that girl on the bathroom floor that just the grit that it took to get up and go and take care of her kids and put on a happy face as much as she could because what I was going through felt impossible. It felt like more than anyone could handle um, for me personally and, and with my childhood experiences and the trauma. And But I'm just so stinking proud of her. And I feel like I'm continuing to learn and to trust God in, in a different way. That's been really meaningful to me, really powerful. That's such a great example of seeing yourself, yeah. seeing that person um, that was struggling and having empathy and compassion and even encouragement for her. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I try. I Yeah, she's special to me for sure, for sure. You know, the, the woman that touched Jesus' robe, I mean, she might have been healed instantly kind of by a grand magician, but she waited 12 years for that healing. Yeah. And I'm sure there were a lot of moments when she got hopeful about some treatment that a physician had given her and then downcast because it wasn't working. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure over and over again, she had experienced that pain and disappointment and all of that. And and it took her a long time to find the master healer. And, you know, maybe there were, maybe that is similar to your journey in a way and not having immediate healing, but really wanting it, you know, and uh, my heart goes out to that, that girl on the bathroom floor too. It's, um, it, it sounds like it must have been really trying uh, and it kind of gives you a hopeless feeling unless you know the, the outcome. Um, I wanted to ask you, what does the phrase, I see you, mean to you? you? You named your book and your podcast both that title. Well, I see you is an interesting phrase because I made a friend um, we actually went to the same therapist and this was at a pretty low point for me. And she, we found a way to get each other's information. It's a long story, but basically we met as strangers at a park and she had had a lot of similar experiences that I did. And we had a similar disposition. We were both like 
driven, happy girls that just like, we don't get depressed, right? We choose not to be depressed. All those, those things we both believed growing up. And, and for some people that works and some it doesn't, but I had never been able to talk to someone so openly and just feel like she understood. And so it was fun that she would text me these words like, Hey, I see you. Like, and it just was like, I'm present with you. I get you. I'm in your corner. Like, I know the things that you think are the worst about yourself. And I just, I got you. And about nine months later, after we met, it was my birthday and she gave me a bracelet and I actually wore it today. And it says in cursive, I see you. And, um, there, you know, there's an Idina Menzel song called I see you. That's pretty special. And she talks about how, you know, to the brokenhearted, to the people walking home alone, all the things like I see you. And I think it's just that, and another, I'm, I'm piecing this together, like a, like a patch quilt, but I, I see you means so much to me. There's a quote from shall we dance? Um, and they're actually specifically talking about marriage, but I think the same is for just our responsibility as human beings in this world. And it says, your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. And to me, that's really the heart of I see you. That's that kind of definition really clings clings to my heart. Um, there's also, if it's okay, I'm gonna read it's actually off my book, which feels pretentious, but it is right here. Um, this is I see you. And it says, there is nothing you need to do, no requirements you need to meet to be deserving of my complete attention. Just simply breathe and you've done it. Um, that's really just this idea of being present with people in the moment, um, in the good and the bad, and really getting rid of distractions so that you can touch them on the shoulder when they talk and make eye contact, uh, witnessing each other's lives in not a, a passive unintentional way but with intention and I believe it so much because it truly saved my life multiple times people willing to be in that space for me and I see I, I don't know that we always realize the impact we have when we can truly see someone the way we can change the trajectory of their life and and I'm a witness of that because it happened to me I, I actually think that <clears throat> I think that sounds a lot like real love by Dr. Greg Gare we did an interview with him and uh, we've also read his book, um, and we, you know, he, he talks about finding wise people who accept us as we are and who uh, can be in a non-judgmental space and, um, and love us no matter what we do or how we show up. And I think the way you described your mission and your focus is a really good example of that. Thank you. Thank you. Julie, um, you know, it reminds me of the experience I had shortly after getting divorced. And it's, it's quite interesting. They've done functional MRIs of people's brains uh, who are going through an unwanted divorce compared to a control group and so forth. And what they found was, was astonishing. Their brains light up in the same places that someone as someone who is experiencing physical torture or pain. Now that isn't true of any other negative emotion. It isn't true of sadness, depression, anger, any of that. Only when you're feeling rejected. Mm -hmm. I think there's a survival me mechanism in that. I think we're supposed to feel pain when we're rejected because in primitive times, if you got kicked out by your tribe, you were probably gonna die. And, and it threatened your survival. 
I mean, as a baby, you survived because somebody loved you. And I think it is really deep in our DNA, if you will, to be, uh, to, to need to be seen, to need to be loved, to need to be paid attention to. And, and I felt that physical pain in the form of waking up every day, feeling like I'd been kicked in the stomach and carrying that around all day long and taking it to bed every night. And it was relentless. And there were two things that got me through that without taking my own life, literally. And that was my faith and my friends, because both of those things could help me feel less empty and afraid. And, and so I relate to a lot of what you're, what you're saying on that. And I think our listeners do, or that many of them have been divorced or experienced, you know, the death of a spouse, which is also a very traumatic event. And I, when I was feeling rejected by my first husband, I remember feeling this pain, like what you talked about, that like, I didn't know it was possible to survive that kind of anguish. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, and we call it the ache, the ache that comes from um, divorce and loss. And it, um, it can be as painful as anything we've ever experienced, like in our bodies, uh, even though it comes from initially from emotion and uh, grief. Julie, um, you, you write in your book, I think about your husband, Rob, joining you on the bathroom floor. Um, tell us about that and about anything else you want to tell us about Rob in this whole process. Well, what's interesting actually is, so you might be referring to in the dedication I wrote for Rob, who refused to let me sleep alone on the bathroom floor. Mm. I have never been loved so fiercely. So what's interesting is that actually is talking about a different context of the bathroom floor. Um, which I think we can probably all relate to when you're like so mad at your spouse that I was like, I remember we've probably been married this time that I'm referring to that he knows about. Um, we've probably been married about a year and a half. And actually this was right before I had my first mental breakdown. So that's, that's interesting. And we gotten in a fight about something. We argued about something and I was just so mad at him, but we were staying at someone else's house at the time. We were living out of state and we were kind of renting a room out of some family friends. So I couldn't like go out in the main areas without creating a scene. So we just had our a room and a little bathroom off of it. And so I, I took my pillow and my blanket and I went and I put the pillow on the bathroom floor and my blanket and I just was mad. And I laid there and just a minute or two later, and he was mad too. I hear him come in and he put his pillow next to mine and he gets down next to me with his blanket. And he's like, I'm not going to let you sleep on the bathroom floor alone. And it was just this really funny moment where it's like, we both were still mad at each other, but there was this overarching arching like but I love you like I don't like you right now but I love you and I just cannot let my wife sleep on the bathroom floor by herself um it just feels wrong and so it's a pretty funny story um but yeah like it's oh man through all the mental health stuff I know you guys have been through you guys have been through so much just the bit I know about you um, when a, when a loved one is sick in, in multiple different ways, it was a struggle. It was, it's been hard on our marriage, um, trying to figure out how to communicate it about it. And, but what I really appreciate is at the end of the day, he has stuck by my side through everything, you know, 
Um, he has never given up on me. He has always believed that I could do anything. Um, he teases me. He does, he works in the business world, um, does really well at what he does. And he teases me and says like, if you knew how to do what I did, like if you got trained on it, he's like, hands down, you'd be better at my job than I am. And, and while I don't know that that's true, I do is made a huge difference in my life that he has always had that confidence in me that I could do anything I wanted to. Um, and that's a pretty special gift he's given me as a spouse. Yeah. Um, did you feel like at some point you did touch the robe of Christ or that, that you came out of this darkness that you were in? Yeah. Um, yeah, not in the way that I was expecting on the bathroom floor day. Um, and it's been little by little in some ways, but I don't know that I will ever not be susceptible to more susceptible than some to anxiety and depression. I will take medication probably for the rest of my life and do maintenance therapy for the rest of my life because it makes me really happy. Those resources keep me in a really good place. And not, not that I don't still have my struggles, but yeah, I have felt light poured into my life as I have used this to help other people, to help leaders um, connect with their people better, how to treat people at work. Um, I have very much so helped, felt the robe of Christ in my life um, as I try to partner with him in helping people feel his love. And, you know, in a, a business setting, uh, a business setting or uh, a speaking gig, like I will use some different vocabulary because of the audience I'm in front of. But to me, it's all the same. It's all eternal truth. Um, learning about my God and about how he has asked me to treat other people. It's all the same. It's just sometimes different words depending on the audience. And, and that's been, it's been one of the greatest honors of my life. So absolutely, I felt his healing power in my life. And, and I, I love a really beautiful life. I love it. I really love it. It seems like a lot of that healing, if I'm hearing you right, was kind of channeled through other people. Um, is it in seeing or being seen or both? I would say both. I think I was seen. I don't know that I could have done a lot of me seeing others. Uh, and I talk about this. I have a chapter about self-compassion. If you want to be in a position to help other people like that, you have to be able to do it for yourself. I would not have been able to do this. I can't do it from the bathroom floor or in my book, I talk a lot about being in the hole. And when you're in the hole, you can't really help other people. You can't. And so I think for me, my motivation did come a lot from my kids and my husband wanting who I wanted to be for them. And like I said, my experiences growing up and watching what can happen um, when something like this does consume you. And and I don't say that meaning shame upon or anything. It's just a natural consequence sometimes of, of the people you love also being hurt. And because of that, I felt um, I, was, I, I was more accepting and desperate to let other people see me so that I could get better. And as I've continued to get better, my capacity to do that for others just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's been incredible. It's been incredible to be in a position where I'm okay with me and I don't, I still need it. We all need it. Like you never graduate from needing that human connection. Right. But I'm, I'm not in the hole anymore. And I have a greater capacity to, to do that for others because I saw that behavior modeled for me and I saw the impact it can have up close and personal. So I'm, 
incredibly motivated to try to do what I can for other people that way. That was actually the hardest part for me being in the hole is knowing how it was affecting my family and not being able to do anything more about it than I was doing. And um, absolutely. I, uh, I had a lot of whole moments uh, after we got married and before we started Love and Later Years. In fact, uh, the book Intentional Courtship, which we started with, and then we started the group and, and the podcast and the YouTube channel and, and all of that all kind of stemmed from finally at least coming out of the hole enough to function well enough to start doing those things. And, um, and also from a loss, we got pregnant in 2019 and we miscarried. And so instead of having a real baby, which, you know, was really impossible with what the way my body's condition was. And I didn't really even, I wasn't even fully aware of what was going on. It took a long time to even get diagnosed and um, figure out, you know, what I was dealing with, which ended up being an autoimmune condition and, and a digestive disorder that stemmed from it. Um, which means I had to, you know, rebalance all my hormones and, you know, take thyroid medication and change my diet and, you know, all this stuff. And it was kind of during all of that figuring out and that after that loss that, you know, we were like, well, we can't have a real baby. We'll have a book baby. <laughs> and we just, you know, went a another direction. And I think sometimes what we believe we want, what we know we want, and that doesn't work out, you know, we end up being able to do other things. I know uh, also like the divorce I didn't want ended up leading to me teaching more full time. Like instead of having five students, I ended up with 30 something. And so I've in in a sense, I've been a part of raising, you know, or at least just a small part in raising other children, you know, and when my children were gone and because we had 50-50 custody sharing. And, you know, I tried to look at that as a, a gift um, and um, be able to adjust to, you know, what I wouldn't have planned for myself. I love that. Julia, I would like to ask you, um, for our listeners that say don't have a rob to come and join them on the bathroom floor with a pillow and a blanket uh who have lost that either through death or divorce or who maybe never have had the blessing of being married uh and feel alone what can those people do if they're suffering or struggling to 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 see and be seen you know, I think it sometimes it's really hard things like that, that, that we have to be humble because we have no other choice and it's, it's learning moments. And I think we all run up against that. And especially where you don't have that, that person in front of you, you don't have someone like that to rely on. I think it's so important to reach out and, and advocate for what you need. Um, that's the greatest amount of self-compassion I think you could give yourself in that moment is calling a friend, calling someone and saying, hey, I'm really struggling and I think I really need someone. And, and for me, I would have to force myself, you know? I, I literally would, like in my head, I was like, this isn't even gonna help, but this is what my therapist told me to do. So I guess I'll do my homework, but like so convinced, like there's nothing that can help me. 
Like it's, it's a mind trip when you are that low, it's really sometimes mind over matter choosing and, and, and trusting other people that have really great advice and are able to see the sun still. Cause in the hole, I couldn't see the sun. I, I, I was like, it's not real. Like that's how it felt. It's I'm, I'm not happy. I've never been happy. Uh, it's just such a mind trip that I really had to intentionally reach out and ask to be seen. And while there will be people that don't understand or that are insensitive or things, I don't think it'll take, there's, there are really good human beings out there and we are a lot more alike than we think. I, I think you keep reaching out and you find your people, you find people. Um, I did, you know, and like I said, like, what was that? It seems counterintuitive, like the things that you can do to feel better. Um, it's the opposite of the, what you want to do. Totally. And I know therapists call it opposite action, taking opposite action of what you feel like doing so that you can mm -hmm. get stuck. The girl yeah. on the bathroom floor doesn't want to talk to anyone, but needs to. Yeah, but needs yeah. to. And, and I mean, I relate to that. Now I did, when I was going through my divorce, I did recognize that. Mm -hmm. and I, <clears throat> I reached out to friends I hadn't talked to in two decades. Um, along with other friends that I, I mean, mission companions and other people. Right. And I was nervous to do that. I was really uh, actually nervous doesn't describe it. I was afraid to do it because I thought they're going to, you know, say, who are you again? Or, you know, what, what is, uh, you know, what does your life have to do with mine anymore? You haven't talked to me in 20 years. And now that you're bummed out and need a friend, you're calling me. You know what? Nobody said anything like that. No one even gave the impression to me that that was how they felt. They even, you know, like a mission companion I hadn't talked to in 15 or 20 years um, who had been through a divorce became one of my closest confidants during all of that. Uh, and it was so nice to be able to talk to him because he had been down that path and he knew the pain that I was in. And you know, it was, uh, that connection was really important. My cousin who had been divorced became my best friend during that period because he knew what I was going through. And he's, <laughs> other than Kathy, he's still my best friend. So yeah, I think sometimes maybe life and God gives us adversity so that we can increase those human bonds and, and understand how important that connection is. Would you speak to that a little bit? Oh yeah, I, I really relate to that. Um, and even with challenges that have happened since those really dark years, those five to six years that were really, really tough in that way. Um, I've had my moments again where I've needed to reach out and yeah, talk to people that I haven't talked to in forever because I just need somebody. And in different circumstances, whether you're not married at all or you're divorced, there are times when those people can't serve that role for you um, or they're going through their own stuff and it can be really lonely. Um, and I, I absolutely, that rang true to me when you said, I think sometimes adversity, like the blessing of it is that it increases our human connections with people that we wouldn't otherwise connect with because we're just distracted and we, we it's not top priority because we're not just in survival mode. And sometimes we're in survival mode and it's like, no, I, I need anyone to talk to. Um, and I've struggled with those same fears as much as I've worked on this. I still struggle sometimes with that, where I'm like, 
I kind of want to call this person, but like, maybe that's weird. Like maybe they don't, you know, and, and I don't want to drain them and all the things. Um, but people are just so good. They're so good. And if they're not, then you move on. Cause there's so many good people out there. You know, there's so many good our people. Brokenness is our bond. Um, you know, we're all broken in some, some ways, or at least we think we are, feel we are. Well, and I, I just recently heard this statement, and it's been on my mind a lot this week, that struggle is what brings us confidence in our capacity as human beings. And um, if we were deprived of that, we wouldn't grow as much. And I think maybe going back to what you said, do I want a magician? or a God, and a God who, you know, ultimately knows what's best for us, and sometimes that means to allow us struggle, to grow our confidence and our capacity. Absolutely. Amen. Um, so, so now there's a, a little thing, curiosity, and I don't know if there's anything behind this or not, but I've listened to quite a bit of your podcast, <clears throat> and uh, um you have a hundred episodes or something like that. And you said during the early episodes, as I remember, your sort of introduction was, I see you, let's be friends. And then later it's just, I see you, but the let's be friends isn't there. So is there a story behind that? Or is that, you know? Oh, that is so funny. I cannot, I, when I took that off, I did not realize what the reaction would be. I've had so many people <laughs> Like, you don't want to be friends anymore. Like, no, no I was worried. I didn't I have that curiosity. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm glad you asked so we can set the record straight. No, I think that I, that's how I done it. And then I had listened to a lot of other podcasts and they had said something similar. And I, I think I was worried that it sounded contrived or fake. And I was like, no, I really do want to be friends. But I heard so many that I felt like, oh, these are sounding kind of similar. I thought mine, I thought mine sounded heartfelt and, and I just took it off and I was not expecting anyone to even care or notice and they cared. And they <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there's not a big story behind it, but it was just kind of a, and people that were like, you need, please, will you put it back on? And I was like, yeah, I will. And then I forgot and never did. <laughs> yeah. I actually got the, I've always gotten the impression that you want to be friends. I mean, I'm, okay, I'm glad. I'm glad. I see you, uh, virtue that you that you share yeah we're glad to consider you a friend so thank you yeah right back at you <laughs> i've actually got a question for her yeah go ahead so you know we talk about reaching out to christ to his robe and to reach for healing and to have faith in healing and i'm wondering um if there's anything you did like so for our listeners that might be struggling with depression or anxiety um, if there's anything you were led to that helped you heal, not just, you know, through spiritual means, but through action. Yes. Something. Yes. Yes. Because I think it is an easy trap to fall into of, of that spiritual means, um, praying it away or fasting it away and things. And not that those aren't really powerful things that have real power, but, I 100% learned um, both through spiritual and just like logical trusting um, for me, science and different things that 
that Heavenly Father wants me to be happy and that there are a lot of blessings that are already on the earth that are for us and a lot of revelation that's been given for us. And so for me, I felt what's interesting is there was actually time and, and you spoke to this where it's really hard to feel the spirit when you're in that space, like if, if almost impossible, maybe. Um, and I've had very few times. I don't, I'm even thinking, I don't know if I've ever had a time where I've had words come in my mind specifically people talk about that. And I think unless I'm not remembering right now, this is the only time I've had words come into my mind. It was one night within these years. Um, and I had kids at this point kind of around the bathroom floor, Jesus loves you time. And I was, I couldn't sleep. My anxiety was so bad. And it was like two 30 in the morning and I'm just kind of, my husband's asleep next to me. And I'm just kind of turning back and forth, just crying, sobbing quietly, trying not to wake him up and just asking, like in my mind, I just kept saying like, what have I not done? Because at this point it's like, I've like scavenged every list, like how to not be depressed, learn a musical instrument, um, you know, make sure you're exercising, cut out sugar, cut out caffeine, which I've obviously gone back to caffeine because that's what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> that was a regret. Uh, that didn't fix it. No, but like all these different things, like I was checking them off. I was going to the temple twice a week, um, which I'm, I don't know if you're, what kind of audience you have, but just, that's like a religious thing to right? just go ponder and, and reading my, my scriptures and, and listening to all sorts of thought leaders, including religious leaders. And, and so I'm just, racking my brain and asking, what have I not done in this, this prayer? And the only time in my life that I had words come to me and it just was, and it wasn't, once again, it wasn't a warm, fuzzy feeling. It wasn't anything. It was just a clear feeling and it was just go to your doctor. Mm. And that's been really interesting for me. Um, as, as in my situation and no one's situation is exactly the same. Medicine has been really important for me in my healing um, medication has made it possible for me to implement the things in therapy. I remember my therapist saying to me after working with me for a while, she was like, I have never had a client that is doing so much and not having the results we should see. And, and she said, she's like, I'm not a pill pusher. I'm not saying it's for everyone. She's like, you are a case where I would say you may need to think about being on medication permanently, like long-term because this should be helping more than it is. And man, once I got in some good stable medication, like all of a sudden those, all those things on the to-do list started helping. Yeah. You had I, control to sort of yeah. uh, then be able to implement right. strategies. And I was on and off medication all through those years, but I was always trying to get off because I didn't want to be reliant on it. Right. Like I want to be reliant on Jesus, not on medication. And now I'm like, so reliant on both. And I feel like medication is in the Jesus stuff too. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, would, you say, would you tell yeah. a diabetic, you just need Jesus. You don't need. Yeah. It just or doesn't what? quite work that way. So I, I often with medication, I get questions about medication a lot. There's obviously a lot of shame around it because of how much people talk to me about, you know, how comfortable I am talking about it and, and how did I get there? And the way I think about medication, the, the analogy I've come up with that makes sense to my brain, the only way I know how to explain it is when I wasn't on an antidepressant, or excuse me, when I am on an antidepressant, like I'm in a house and I, I have a bad day and I fall on the ground and it hurts and it's a crappy day and I can recognize it's a crappy day, but I can still look outside the windows and see that sun is shining outside. Like I can still see like tomorrow could be better. Today might just be a bad day. Like I can have that understanding and awareness. 
when I'm not on medication, it's like falling and it's like going through a trap door in the basement and it closing and it's just dark and I can't see, there's no windows where I can see that the sun is shining. And so I like, I can try to learn a musical instrument and journal and all these things, but the reality is like, I don't see the reality of an outside of this or, and it, it's a trip that it's never been there either. And so for me, medication, it's like, it just, it, I still fall on the ground. I still have days where I'm like, I don't want to do it. This is hard, but I can see the reality of that. Not every day is like this. These feelings are not permanent and I've been happy before and I'm going to be happy again. And a bad day is a bad day and that's okay. Um, so there's a real difference for me in dealing with conflict and challenges being on and off an antidepressant. That's, that's, that's what makes sense to me. I think that's a really good way of explaining it. And I know for me back in college, I wanted to get off medication and, and I, you know, I did the on and off again thing thinking, okay, no, this is temporary, this is temporary, you know? And then I was like, what, what am I doing? That's not worth it. Um, and so, but when I, <clears throat> when the Hashimoto's kicked in for me and the digestive disorder, I, my needs, uh, my, my mental health needs changed. And so I ended up, yeah, I ended up having to, you know, something that worked really well for over a decade ended up, I ended up needing something different because, um, I know with thyroid issues, um, like I, my antidepressant, I think to some degree was masking like the, the underlying cause of it. Mm -hmm. And then once my thyroid started working, then all of a sudden my medication needed to change. And, um, so that can happen too. Um, and I know we have a, a friend who knows that there's a, there's like a DNA testing site where you can figure out what medication works best for you and your body. I've done it. Yeah. Remind us what that's called. Uh, I don't know. I just asked my general doctor and they ordered genetic testing and did blood work. So it's really interesting. Um, I, I want to say it's like genetic site, gen site, something. I don't know, but it's pretty interesting. It is not as conclusive. Like it, yeah, it's kind of, they have like red, green, and yellow category, just kind of the likelihood of that it'll work with your chemistry, but it's pretty fascinating. Well, yeah. And, and then you don't have to go through quite so many really scary experimental, you know, things. Right. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, definitely no shame in medication. Sometimes we just need it. And it's like any other um, medical treatment that, you know, when something's not firing right, when something's not um, functioning properly, then we need help with that. Yeah. So Julie, you talk or you write in your book about finding the light. Um, what are some ways that people that are feeling darkness can find the light? I come back to connection, honestly. Yeah. When things are dark, uh, maybe you don't have your own light, you know, and you got to go to someone that does and, and, and share from theirs. And sharing from theirs doesn't look like taking their light, right? Like we think about a candle, like it doesn't hurt their light at all to give some to your candle. It doesn't extinguish it. It doesn't change it. Um, I think connecting with other, reaching out and connecting with other human beings in real life as much as possible. I think texting is great and I think it totally serves a purpose. I think having face-to-face -face contact is really important. Um, having someone that can touch you on the shoulder and give you that eye contact, I think is incredibly healing. 
Well, and if you can't be there in person, I know um, we had Gainalyn Condi, who's a great mental health advocate, and she um, talked about Marco Polo being a good option if you're stuck at home, you know, with the COVID situation that we were all in, um, that that's a good way to have some face-to-face -face time um, in a convenient way um, if we are not able to be in person. Absolutely. That's fun. Yeah. Me and Gaino and Condi are friends. We actually use Marco Polo and she's been on my podcast as well. She's a, she's a fantastic advocate for mental health for sure. Yeah. We had a great interview with her on our podcast as well. So um, yeah, that's a, a cool mutual connection. Um, I have a question for you about Broccoli Punzel. Yay. <laughs> well, two questions actually. I'm getting it out. Number one, I think the story of how that book came about is delightful. And so I'd like you to share that with our audience. And then secondly, the message of this book is actually kind of profound. It only recently came out too. So um, it's a children's book, but the message works with adults too. And so, so talk to us about, first of all, how you came up with this crazy book. And secondly, you know, what is the book uh, for? Yes. That's a better way. To it say. is the weirdest story. I would not believe this story if it had not happened to me. It is not something I could make up. Yeah, so, so sometime in all of this, God gave you some words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so when I was in college, I went on a first date uh, with someone and we went to a comedy show. And as we're walking home, he's like, tell me a story. He just says that. And I'm like, we were friends by this point. So we were pretty comfortable with each other. I was like, why is this 23 year old grown man like asking for a story? Like, this is the weirdest day I've ever, you know, I've been on. I was like, okay. And so just what came to the top of my head, I was like, once upon a time, there was a princess, you know, pretty normal start. And then, but I wanted to shake it up. And I was like, and she had broccoli for hair. And he was like, okay, you know, and, and I start telling this story and he liked it so much um, that he, that I was like, I'm going to, I have a children's literature assignment coming up as going to school to be an elementary school teacher. And I, I need to submit an original story. So I'm going to submit this. And so I do. And I, and right before, right before I um, need to turn it in, I remember I need to have illustrations with it. Like, shoot. So I go on and like any resourceful college student, you know, I like find some clip art and I just paste this green leafy looking vegetable on all the pages and I turn it in. And when I get it back, I got, and I got an A minus on it. And I was like, kind of, I think he had built me up that this was just such an incredible story, which I can tell you a little bit more about the plot later, but that I was like, kind of bugged. I was like, that does, what's the minus score? I just, I should have been an A. And he came over to my apartment. We were good friends at this point. And I was like, look, I got an A minus. And he just starts flipping through the pages. He's like, huh? Yeah. I, I think I know why you got an A minus. And I said, why? And he said, because that the clip art that you pasted over, that's not broccoli. That's a marijuana leaf. <laughs> I was going to a private Christian university named BYU at the time. And I just don't think it went over well. Um, <laughs> but um, the crazy thing with all of this is that I married that guy, right? That's Rob. That was our first date. And the story kind of traveled around. I started using it in different religious lessons and I started talking to kids about self-acceptance. And um, on my 27th birthday, he brought me a self-published version that he had made on Amazon. And he'd had a friend that was an animator do some fun illustrations. So it was a, an actual book that I could take with me uh, to share with kids. And that's when I really started speaking more. 
in the school setting. Um, and actually, when I originally met with my publisher, it was about publishing that book about Broccoli Punzel. But I, we kind of came out of the meeting and I send him, I send him a table of contents for ICU. And then he asked me, you know, can you finish it in three and a half months? This one I'd want it done by. And I said, of course I can. And then I got off the phone, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? I don't even know if I want to write a book. And then after I see you uh, did well and, and had a good impact, I think then we went back to, okay, it's time to publish Broccoli Punzel now. Um, and so, yeah, it just came out last month and it's a, it, I added to it um, after having written ICU so that the words ICU are also in this. And it's a story about, you know, becoming a leader that is, that is authentic and that owns that what makes them different makes them powerful. And, and because of that, because of that confidence, they're able to see other people. So uh, it's pretty special to me. It's a, it's a good one. This time with broccoli and rather than a marijuana leaf. Yeah. Yep. You can even see. <laughs> we, we differentiated that quite well, I think. Yeah, I think so. that was just published in April. So to our listeners, you know, if you want to get a, uh, get a copy while it's new. Is that on Amazon? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... <clears throat> I, uh, I was just wanting to clarify something. When you were on that date and you told Rob that story, did you just make it up on the spot? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I don't think I would have used it as my assignment then in college had he not been so like enthusiastic in his reaction. He's like, this is the best story I've ever heard, you know, which he probably just wanted a second date, right? Um, but I was like, wow, I didn't, he's like, that is so creative. That's so great. You know, and I was like, I'm the type of person in college that I did like the bare minimum, you know, I like never did my reading and I was not the best student. So I was like, well, there's my assignment. I guess I'll just use that, you know, just so yeah, it's crazy how it came about. Yeah. But, okay, so to our listeners, dating can lead to good assignments. <laughs> <laughs> you get work done while you're dating. You know, I'm all about efficiency, right? <laughs> well, I mean, both of our dating journeys led to a book being published, so. <laughs> there you go. You um, know, um, I actually, I've, I've been meaning to say this during the interview, but as Jeff's been listening to your podcast, as we, you know, listen to your book, um, he, he made this observation. He's like, Kathy, Dewey's like you. <laughs> we're both really ambitious and we like to be really busy, but we also know we have to take care of our health and, you know, we have to really strike that balance because, you know, we'd really rather be doing stuff and serving people, you know, but then, you know, we have to remember we're human and that our bodies can break down if we don't pay attention. Yes, because yeah. Kathy is a human being, not a human doing. <sighs> That's a good way to put it. Yes. Um, yes. I've had to work very hard on that. It is not something that comes naturally just to be and be still and take it. Yeah. I'm always working on it. Yeah, me too. So um, Theodore Roosevelt once said that comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, you, you write a chapter on that in, in ICU. You want to talk about that to our our audience? Yeah, I mean, I just think comparison and coming back to this idea of what makes you different makes you powerful. The problem with comparison is we've all been given different gifts and we've all had different life experiences and we've just all been dealt such different hands, you know, with our biology, our the way we grew up, so many things that there's really no way to compare two lives. 
um, in a way that's that's makes sense. And I think it can really distract us from owning what's ours. And it can make it so that we don't use our gifts because we're distracted looking at someone else's. And uh, I think about staying in your lane, your own lane a lot, where I tell a story, I think in the book about being in driver's ed, where I had this problem where when I was driving, I would see a sign like a McDonald's sign or something. And I look over at it and my hands would go with the steering wheel as I was looking. So then I drift into other people's lanes. And to me, that's, that's what comparison is. It's like, you're just drifting in and out of other people's uh, stuff in a way that's not healthy. It's, there's no problem with looking at the signs and seeing what they're doing. That's not a problem, but it's really easy for us to start drifting the steering wheel into the like, well, maybe I should be like them. And where it gets to an unhealthy place instead of admiring and taking that and being like, okay, do I, yeah, I could apply that. I like that. I want to be more like that. That's not a problem. But when we start enmeshing ourselves and our worth and other people's best, um, I just don't find that helpful. I don't find a lot of growth from that. I don't think I'm very productive in that thinking. Um, and so I'm just, I'm always trying to get rid of it in my own life, but it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I think it's something I always need to be intentional about. Yeah. yeah. We love the word intentional too. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think that, uh, that pretty much wraps up what we wanted to ask you about today are, do you have parting thoughts, anything you wanted to say that you haven't been able to say yet, um, that you'd like our listeners to hear? Sure. I always have stuff to say. <laughs> um, I think what I would leave with more than anything, you know, we're coming out of some really tough years with COVID and that's impacted everyone in different ways. And the, the war in Russia and Ukraine has definitely been a painful thing for so many. Um, and there's just a lot of, I think there's been just a lot of heart in the world and we're all, we've all struggled in our own ways. And I just really, till the day I die, will just advocate for that. I believe the healing balm that we need in our relationships, in our country, um, in our circles of influence is, is connection, is human connection, which is why I, I, when I speak to audiences a lot, I say this phrase connection cleans culture. Um, sometimes our, the culture in which we live, whether it's in, you know, I live in a cul-de-sac, uh, within my own community, within a church congregation, whatever it is, sometimes culture can get backbiting or mistrusting or different things can happen that make it feel just mucky and icky. And I really feel like the healing that needs to play to take place comes through connection. Um, both connection with, for me, you know, with God, also connection with other human beings. We're meant to do this life together. We're not meant to do it alone. I mean, the, you know, I, we both live here in Utah and there's a big pioneer heritage, uh, strong heritage in, in our, in the history of starting Utah. And you think about like, how did they do it? How did they get across the plains and bury children and, and bury spouses? And how did they get through that? Well, they did it together. They were, they were all burying family members together. That's, I believe, how they got through it. And in today's society, there are so many ways to isolate and not be together. And I believe that's really where a lot of pain and disconnection happen. And so I would just end with, you know, I see you on the bathroom floor if that's where you're at and, and you won't be there forever. Those feelings aren't permanent. Reach out, connect. And also that connection has the ability to, to clean and transform a culture. And I'm excited that's about beautiful. that. And, and I would like to follow up with a, uh, another question on that actually, because 
I believe the way we create connection is through vulnerability. And I think it is, that is something that many people, and especially men, have a difficult time with. I think sometimes we're very attentive to women that are in emotional pain because we think, you know, they need that, but men are big and tough and strong and they don't. And I, I don't believe that's true, but I know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. So share us, share your experience on that, uh, that, you know, that's not true. Yeah. Well, it's even been interesting. I mean, like the, the worst night of my life, I talk, I just touch on just a little bit in the book because a lot of the book, um, I share different experiences, but it's really supposed to be about the reader, not about me. Um, so it's really a self-help book, but, but I do touch a little bit on a night where through some, some medication areas, errors and in the mental state I was in where I became very truly suicidal um, and had to wake up my husband, have him take me to the ER. That experience was terrifying for him. It was terrifying for me. It was terrifying for him. And it's been interesting through the years when, when I brought it up, he's like, no, I'm good. I don't need anything, you know? And it's been interesting to see recently, he's really realized like, I'm not good. Like I have a lot of fear and a lot of things behind that. And, um, I haven't really asked him permission to share a lot about that. I think he would be fine with it, but just to be careful, uh, in letting that be his story to share. I just have seen firsthand that it is not a gender thing to need connection and to need to process grief and pain. And I've seen that it can impact the way we live, the way we treat each other, the fear we hold on to, and that there's nothing wrong. I mean, that's a human thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's getting the help and the connection that you need that I think is so powerful. And I'm so proud of, um, when I see that and in men, especially that grew up with maybe a different way of, of looking at things, maybe grew up with some, some shame around, around needing help, which is just so bad for society to have shame and needing help. And it's bad for women too, to hear that message. So, um, I just will say amen and amen to that, that, yeah, I've seen really powerfully how men, when they open up and are, are vulnerable, um, can live a much higher quality of life and have a lot of power in their relationships in really positive ways. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and I wholeheartedly endorse everything you just said, so. Good, thanks. I like it when people endorse what I say. <laughs> um, tell, tell us how people can find you if they want your book or if they want to hear your podcast or any of the other resources that you provide. Absolutely. Well, probably the best just landing spot is my website, which is julieleespeaks.com, julieleespeaks.com. And that has all the links to the, all the books on Amazon. And I also, the, we have a, a metal cuff that says, I see you on there that um, a lot of people are wearing around the world. And that's really cool. Just as a reminder of, of our responsibility as human beings to each other. And, um, but julieleespeaks.com is really, I mean, you can email me from there. You can see video, you can see my highlight reel, I believe is going up today. It has links to my podcast, everything that I'm about. Uh, and yeah, I love to speak. It's, it's my favorite being in front of a live audience. There's nothing like it and being able to connect with new people. I just love it so much. So I'd love to hear from you. And, and even if it's just feedback about the podcast, it's fun. I love to connect. I love it. Well, we're happy to have connected with you today. And uh, I'm sure our listeners have, have definitely gained from this. So we appreciate that. Hey, I'll also add real quick, if it's okay. I do try to stay active on social media. Uh, my Instagram is Julie Lee Speak, and then 
and then Julie Lee on Facebook. I think I think if you do facebook.com slash Julie Lee Speaks, it goes straight to my page. So, and LinkedIn as well. On all the places the kids are on these days, you know, trying yep. to keep up. <laughs> well, um, so we're going to go ahead and sign off. And for our listeners, um, just remember that anytime is a great time for more love in your life. Thanks Thank for you. listening and watching. Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.